Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived. So if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We have a guest back on that I love having on, Lorea, who is part of Love Without Reason and Lunch on Me. As I've mentioned so many times, she was one of the first people we interviewed, and you should go check out that first episode because she talks all about feeding the homeless on Skid Row and how you can change anybody's life, not just a homeless life, but just with these micro gestures. And she is a very impactful human being and impactful speaker and talker. And so I love love, love having her on. What's exciting about this one specifically is she just came out with a book, which is appropriately named Love Without Reason, The Lost Art of Giving a Fuck, where not only does she walk you through these, you know, great stories of being on Skid Row and the lessons she's learned, but really walks you through how we can all shift the way we love and how we can love by choice in all moments and all time and how we can actually use our status, our privilege who we are. And by status, I mean, we all have status. It doesn't matter who you are at different times of your life and how you can use where you are to help others. It's awesome talking to her. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Go run, get this book. It's incredible. It will start shifting how you operate minute to minute. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is so exciting. I mean... (laughs) This is crazy. You have it. And you got the official one. Oh, yeah. I ordered early. I ordered oh whatever God. that was, like, months and months and months and months ago. I'm yeah. so proud of you. Like, so, so, so proud of you. Thank you. I mean, this is, like, legit. There's a lot of words in here. You did great. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's a two-year process. I've been working on this book for wow. uh, probably a total of two and a half years total. I mean, so. it's amazing that... I love that the name that you've been doing everything with love without reason. I mean, it could not be a more perfect title. It's like whenever you downloaded that as, you know, lunch on me, love without reason, because you've been talking about love without reason forever. It's always feels like it totally embodies you, embodies everything you do. It's now embodies this book, but it's like, it's so perfect. Yeah. I got a vision of it. It was kind of crazy. Like I did, I definitely gotten a vision. I just come back in town. I was in South of France and I'd seen it like clear as day. I don't know where I was driving. I was driving. I seen it. And I was like, that's literally the words I saw. I wrote it down. I was like, I don't know what this means, what this is, but I know it's, it's this thing. Uh Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it was definitely one of those um, downloads that was beyond me. I just listened to it. And now, yeah, it's been fitting in every way where it kind of like I had the aha discovery as well. I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the words. I didn't know. I downloaded the words, but this is what it is. And it's been that like for me. So it's interesting how it's kind of coming full circle now. So amazing. Uh, Well, anyway, I obviously loved reading this. It's like everything that's amazing about you and what you do. But I always I've always said this. What's so incredible about you is not only just 
this amazing work that you do, this undertaking that's constantly growing and changing and evolving. You're always finding ways to serve and shift and give people what they need, but you've always been a teacher. And that to me has always been what's so fascinating about you is like, yes, you do this, but you have such an incredible way of sharing what you do, how you do it and why you do it and inspiring others to join that I've always been like, you're, that's why I always love talking to you about it. Cause I feel like oh. you're one of the best teachers in this area as well. So it's like, not only are you inspiring change on the ground floor, you're also having the ripple effects because your words and how you convey it are so powerful. So this book to me is like perfection because it's exactly what oh. you've been doing all the time. It's like, you are it's unbelievable teacher about how to love without reason, to love without limitation, to love without, you know, all of it. And I want to talk, we'll start by talking about that, but it's awesome. It's like, yes, if anybody should have a book, absolutely you should, because this is what you've been Ugh. doing with your words. And now your words are just on paper. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those, like, I feel like I'm a part of the experience. Like I, I, and I say that because I never, I never viewed myself as a teacher. I never seen any of those things. So when I hear that, it's, oh, that's funny. it's, it's, it's new news to me. I never, I mean, I, I, I just, I shared my life experiences and I, and I'm blessed that, you know, some are teachable moments, but I, I never, I had never even thought that far. Oh my God, you have such an unbelievable way. And I, I beg anyone who's listening to this, we've done two previous episodes with Lorea and all are just chock full of, again, teaching. So that's why I find it so interesting that you don't see yourself that way because you have an unbelievable knack of translating your life moments in teachable formats, which not everyone can do. You know what I mean? Not everybody knows how to pull from the situations what is teachable, what is learnable, what is going to connect. And you have that ability, which is what is so fun about this book. I mean, not, I mean, there's so much learning, but again, your stories bring it alive. Like every moment, every story, you're just like, oh my God. And there's so many great stories in there. It's phenomenal. Thank you. I definitely it took me a while to dig because even deciding to write the book and deciding what the context would be, it was, oh my God, I, it was the posing questions that people ask, like, how did you get here to show up for life? You know? So it was this thing I was like, you know what? I have to really go back in the archive and I have to think about what are all the things that got me here? What were those lessons? What were those defining moments? And I think that, you know, some, all of them were big. They were all used but there were so many of them that were small, you know, there yeah. were things that I would have never even, I didn't realize, you know, it's like certain moments in your life that are monumental. You're very aware of the magnitude of it in the present moment. Then there's yeah. other things you look back in hindsight. And I think those moments I was like, Oh my God, look at all the love in those details. Well, it's so funny. I don't know why this just jumped in my head. Cause it's not exactly what you're saying, but that story about your grandfather, you know, dying, and he's in the hospital. And I get this. My yeah. family's very like this. My family's very big on no need to remember me this way. Don't worry about it. Like mm -hmm. very strong. And he was very strong in the idea of like, nobody comes to visit me in the hospital. Like this yeah. is like, uh-uh. And you broke that, you broke that promise. And I love it. How, yeah. And the reason I keep, I don't know why that popped in my head is the idea of like, you and your best friend went and got pizza and you made it super <laughs> casual and super fun. And even though he was super gruff about it and annoyed in the yeah. beginning, it ended up being great. Yeah. And it was like such a moment that you, you seem to realize of such love in such a small way that he probably really needed, whether he knew it or not. Yeah. I think the most interesting part was 
the really defining moment for me was I didn't go to his funeral. And my father called me upset. And he's like, you're not going to the funeral. You're not sending flowers. And I said, I brought him flowers and he smelled them before he left. Yeah. And, and that, that was a moment where I said to him, I said, in, in this moment, the funeral was for the people who didn't show up. Let them grieve. I said Oof. goodbye to him. Oh my God. And I was 22, 23 years old. And I had to tell my father, there's no need because I showed up. And I was the last person to see him alive. And, and that's when I realized, like, that moment, even translating that to my father, you know, because after he passed away, he went and cleaned his home. He did the things that he never got to see. Yeah. And I was like, no, I stormed in a hospital room. He unannounced and snuck him pizza and told him I would sit with him. And I brought him flowers. And, yeah, I think that that is that is when you can I think it's so important to to have that to to find the details and to be so intentional and and to make sure that we're being attentive to not what's asked but what's unasked. Well, that's huge. I feel like that's a gift. How can you train people to do that because I don't think everyone has that ability to see behind, behind, you know, or between the lines or into it, you know, a lot of it, what does someone really want? Cause that would be the day old argument. Well, that's not what they want, but they do want this. Well, how do you know? Yeah. They didn't say it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is there any like yeah, any I words think, of wisdom around that? Yeah. I think that, um, obviously we start with things that we want. I, as time goes on, we learn to love people how they want to be loved, but you have to start somewhere. And I think that you start with giving what you want to receive. I think that is the starting point. And I think that as you get comfortable, because I think that there's also has to be this space where giving and showing up becomes innate. So when you do it in the beginning, you, you, you don't start by expecting to master it. It's like anything else. It, everything requires a discipline and practice. And, and that's what I learned too, is the difference is when you said someone will mentally stop themselves, you know, there, there's this reframing that has to happen. They won't want that, but we don't know unless we try so it's like, it's really more of a dismantling of the defenses and the things that keeps us from acting. But that's huge. So, I mean, really, it goes back to working on yourself because, you know, you do have a whole chapter in there about how you learn to love how you see it. And so you, you have to dismantle that first. I mean, yours was a little mm-hmm. like traumatic, actually, <laughs> what you yeah. defined as love. And because for you, love almost was violence. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Or I, it was confusion. Like I, I think it was confusing because what you hear love is in in the environment of family and comfort. It is it is a lot of dismantling and and thinking for yourself. I think that I learned that. I mean, five six years old. Even if I didn't, I couldn't even articulate, but I knew energetically. And I think spiritually, we all know, especially being young beings, when we're more spirit than we are human. Mm-hmm. I think that you might, you don't need the words because you're aware of the energy. Right. Children are hypersensitive. And I think that it, that was the gift. Like I, I look at it as like, it was traumatic, but it was a gift because I believe God uses everything and it was all used. Right. And, and, and I think that being hypersensitive was developed through that because I, I, I understood feelings. I understood even just anger and violence and rage before it even happened, I could energetically feel it transpiring. Just the same with love and empathy. I could feel those things. I was attuned to that energy. And it made me decide 
we we decide that. I think that very young, I recognize the energy we hold in spaces. And being an introvert through my experiences, I was so self-aware of what was going on. But I was like, wow, like this person is bringing this energy in the environment. This person is lifting the energy. This person is transmuting the energy. I watched it. I witnessed it. And I allowed that to help me decide, well, what do I want to be? And I learned that very young because I said, oh, my grandmother, I want to be like her. Yeah. And just so people know, because, and we've talked about it on previous podcasts and it's in the book, um, Lorea grew up a lot with your grandmother because you'd bounce yes. back, back and forth because your mom was a little volatile um, just with mm-hmm. her own life as well as sometimes it was not the best environment for a kid. Mm-hmm. So you saw it all. You saw that stuff through your mom. Um, and then you also call your grandmother mom. Um, yeah, my grandmommy. Yeah. Yes. And so I know she was really like the strong mother figure for you. And that's oh, sure. she's the one who taught you true mm-hmm. love. I mean, right. You, you always kind of bring up that mother Teresa quote and you always relate it to your grandmother. It seems like your grandmother one who really showed you that you just keep loving no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I think that every, every answer she had re- always returned to love every answer. Mm. And I'm just like everything. Give us an example. Give me a fun um, example. I mean, I mean, especially as, as, especially as I got, I became a teenager, you know, I became boisterous and um, very, <laughs> and I, I would articulate my disdain for, you know, the position of people in our life and family. And I just didn't understand it because I'm like, wait, but why aren't they showing up in this? And, and my grandmother, like one of the most, okay, this is, this is the last thing she said to me and I'll never forget this. Mm. She, she never told me what to do. What I loved about her was she was quiet and her example was her teaching. That was it. She never told, not once in my life, she suggested or told me what to do ever. Even as a child, she let me be. And, but the last conversation I had with her, she called me and I was holding a grudge with family for not showing up for her. And she showed up for everyone. So to prove my loyalty, I was like, grandma, I'll never talk to them again. They're not kind to you. They can't treat you this way. You know, and in a coin, her love was bigger than I understood because in those moments she had radical acceptance. So for me, it was like, no, we have to make a stance because I thought it was weighing on her self-love because I'm like, no, people have to treat you. And she looked at, or she didn't look at me. She, she was on the phone with me and she said, Hey, she said, I may, I, she's like, I'm going to tell you this. And I'm going to tell you this one thing in life. She said, forgive everyone. And I looked, she said, you're going to forgive them and not showing up. She was like, forgive everyone. And I was like, how do you forgive people when they've hurt you? And you've been nothing but kind. She said, because it's not about them. It's your assignment with God. And your assignment with God is, is to forgive everything that God created. That is your only position. And it's not for them. And so you can walk this world light. You have you know, to walk this world light. And that walking through the world light, I love, but what a lesson, because I think if we could all figure out that stuff isn't about the other person ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and look, it sounds very narcissistic sometimes, but it's so true. It's like the forgiveness and not holding the grudge. It's like, God, your grandmother was wise. Yeah. And when she said it to me, it was the first time I understood that it was bigger than where I was sitting. I wasn't sitting big enough. Because right. she was like, no, like, I don't need you to prove like your love. I don't need you to prove it to me. You were choosing I, small. Yeah. I was choosing like, I'm just going to be there for you because you're such a kind person. And then she said to me, no, you, you will forgive everyone. And then when she said that it was the first time she put such an emphasis. I was like, whatever this means, I'm going to figure it out. 
whatever wow. this means. I'm going to figure it out. Did you know she was passing away? Like, was that conversation? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I had no idea, but she just called me and said that to me. That was, that was her last like real conversation. She said to me and the one before that, I was like, I finally get you. And she said, if I made it print on one person's life, you know, that's enough. Oh. And, but yeah, that, I had no idea. So when she said that, I was like, dang, she's never told me what to do. I better listen this time. Well, yeah, <laughs> she, she saved it. Um, I know yeah. it's so interesting. The one thing we'd never talked about, I think we hadn't talked about, I feel like I would have remembered it or maybe not. And when you mm-hmm. talk about kind of the micro moments that have affected like you learning how to love was the difference of how your grandmother accepted you versus mm-hmm. your mom. And I never, I don't think I knew the story of when your mom found out you had a girlfriend, your mom mm-hmm. basically threw you. And I mean, obviously yeah. it was, had her own issues to deal with of acceptance and they were taken yeah. out on you. I don't think mm-hmm. I ever knew that. I feel like we've talked so much about so many things. So it's so interesting. I, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, that's huge. And then the first reaction I had was, is that, do you think, part of your DNA of just such radical acceptance of everyone? I feel like you accept everyone. And that's one of your beautiful qualities. Um, yeah, I think that what I learned, it's so funny. I think um, my, well, one of my closest friends said to me yesterday, she's like, you're the first person I met that's a hurt person that doesn't hurt people. Right. And I think that it was weird. I never thought about that. She's like, hurt people hurt people. She's like, even me, I've been a, a, a hurtful person because I've been hurt. She's like, but you don't hurt people. And, and I thought about that because even growing up and accepting those things and accepting, you know, being abused and those things, I, I didn't want to participate. Like I didn't, that, that was my, it didn't, that didn't feel right to me. Even if, even if I was like the victim, I just, I couldn't muster up the strength to be that because that to me was seeing that energy was worse than what I was encountering. I think that it couldn't break me. It hurt and it was painful, but it couldn't break me because I, I couldn't match that. I felt like, and I left as a teenager. I felt like the moment I felt that I was even going to be influenced, I left. I couldn't. You were, you always just had this wisdom though. I mean, yeah. where do you think it came? Do you think it was innate? Do you believe in past lives? Do you? Past lives for sure. I believe I've been here. Of course. Like I don't, I knew that very young. I knew, I knew in my environment how much karma was there. <laughs> like I could, I could feel it energetically. And um, yes, I was very aware as a child. I was a child, and I was aware that I would raise my parents. I knew that. When do you feel like that thought, like first, that awareness came into your head first? Uh, seven, eight years old. Seven, eight years old That's when young. I was. Yeah, seven, eight years old, because, you know, there was moments, I mean, especially in abuse, especially if you're a child, you, you become, you become um, an emotional punching bag. And you know that, you see that energy, you see that, like, that energy is taken out on you and the person shifts. They're lighter because they put, they just, they dumped it on you. And I think that a lot of people in abuse know that, and they become that. And that's when I first started realizing it because I was like, oh, like this is the things that I was encountering. And I also realized in those moments, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be this way and I don't understand it. Like I remember being like, I don't understand why someone would choose this. And I think that was the difference is for some reason, even as a child, I always thought how people were showing up was a choice. 
I thought they chose that. So I definitely knew that. Like, I was like, you're choosing abuse. You're choosing this. You're choosing love. Like, I just thought that oh that's God, what Do you know how many years be. of therapy it takes for people to understand that that stuff is a choice? <laughs> well, I mean, I never ha- I was, I've never been in therapy, but I mean, I, in my life. But I think that, you know, I allowed life to be my therapist, but and God and, and, and kind of staying in a certain space, but no, I, I knew that that was a choice young. So I realized like, even whether it was being loved or unloved, everyone decided to choose how they showed up. I didn't need to know why that's what they, that's where they sat. And that's the radical acceptance too. I accepted that. I accepted who people would be in my life. I accepted that my grandmother was my mother because it's about our actions and she she became my mother because she acted like a mother. Yeah. How yeah. was it? Your mom's your birth mom has passed too, correct? No, no, no. My birth mom's still living. Oh, she is. Right, How's your relationship mm-hmm. now? We no, we haven't spoken years. Okay, so maybe so, that's why I thought. Yeah, yeah. No, we. Um, yeah, I my the last real interaction with her was when my grandmother was passing. That's. That's and for you, when you talk about your radical acceptance, do you how do you how do you view her as far as in this universe and in relation to you? Um, sad, broken, and stuck. Mm. Um, I feel she's. I think that it's many people when they get in their own way, um, and they just pile pain on top of each other. And never deal with the core. I mean, it's just bearing unnecessary weight. You know, she's heavy. She's yeah. so heavy energetically, emotionally. And I I feel sad for her. Because if we don't choose to transmute that, we we sit in a heavy space. I know, it's so awful. Yeah, I feel I feel I feel bad because. I don't, I don't live that way. Right. Do you have any siblings from her? Yeah. I'm the oldest of eight kids. That's right. I knew there were a lot, but I didn't remember if they all <laughs> came from, cause I know um, she had so many. Yeah. No, no. She's yeah. She's had, um, I have siblings with her. She's had six kids. So yeah, she, yeah. I'm, and I'm close to my siblings. I'm close to all my siblings. Are any of them close to her? Mm, maybe the younger ones but I don't know I just I definitely see it's 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 not no I think it their their dynamic is very uh and I don't know I'm from a distance you know I my relationship with them is is them you know it's like I I definitely feel uh maternally for them. Like, I feel like I don't see them as siblings. I see them as my babies. Like, ducks, well, everyone's you know? your baby in life. You're everyone's mom. <laughs> I mean, that's just your role, literally. Yeah, You're my mom. I mean, come on. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel that, you know, that energy with them. And I, I, like I said, I love my siblings. I will, you know, I will see them this weekend for the book launch. So I, um, yeah, I, it's it's very interesting to see the environment we grew up in and the the energies that have been produced from it, you know, because they're very, very gentle, very gentle beings. Like it's very interesting. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm, huh. I'm the, the, the least gentle out of them. 
Well, that that's, but you were first. That's interesting. And you had a lot of shit you had to get done. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if you're, I mean, you came in very wise. So if you're that wise and you're put into that environment, you're not going to be gentle. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, of course. And I think that again, like the things that are the experience I had, they were developing me and they were happening to me. Like I need, I needed all those lessons as, as difficult as they were. And you know, I love to 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 create a new world or a new idea of my experiences, but I I've used all of them, and I and I can honor them because I do believe it happens for our good. You know, I don't yeah. think that it was in vain. I definitely think that the fact that I survived it there's there's light in that. You know, there's so much light in, that that can be shared in that wisdom and that experience. It's so interesting, like you know, you have so much to teach about loving radically about, you know, love without reason um, and what you do every day and working with Skid Row. Do you feel like part of the motivation of writing this book was noticing, like when you're in it and you see it, and we've talked about this a bunch, just noticing how other people choose to love? Has that been surprising for you, just looking around in the world and noticing how people choose to love? I think what's been more shocking is that people don't realize it's a choice. Mm. I think that there's very small things that we can reframe and fine tune that change everything. I think that we treat love like it's accidental, you know, it's written about more than any other subject. And we treat it like, like Cupid's bow, you know, a lightning bolt strikes, like it's accidental instead of intentional. And I think that those are the reframing moments that I feel that if, if we worked on those things, like I always tell people these two posing questions, what has love been to you? Because everyone has a unique experience. What has it been to you? And what is your definition? Nine times out of 10, most people have completely contrasting things. So it's okay. Love has been this. And usually we're a product of that experience, but you kind of have to stop, separate the idea of what has been to you and lean on what you want it to be. Right. And when you lean on what you want it to be, then you start creating the blueprint and roadmap to walking in that space. And that's when it's not accidental, but an inten- it's intentional. And you decide to allow love to be something that you you take in an assertive way and don't allow it to be passive. You know, talk a little bit more about that, because it is true. It's like we have part of it's the fairy tales we were raised with. It's like we have this idea that like you fall into love. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. it's like you fall into love or it finds you or it hits you and it's something so unique and special and random and you only attain it maybe so many times in your lifetime if. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about like your definition of love. Well, yeah, I always say like, especially when it comes to falling in love, I feel like there's two things. At one, I always say, I don't want to fall in love. I want to rise in it. Mm. So to me, that's also, I, I rise in love. And I think that that's also an empowering space. That's why I don't think it's accidental. Like the love in my life has been so intentional. And because I've been intentional, I have curated love that I want it to be by being it. And and I think that is also such a minor thing that will empower and change so many of us because we always look at our experience of love and we're, we try and piece together, like, what does that mean? And it's like, no, no, no. 
you don't have to use what it's been as your reference, as it being the quintessential love to you. You can separate those things. They need to be compartmentalized. There needs to be this idea. Love without reason to me, that's what it is because I'm choosing to rise in love. And every time I think about love without reason, I don't think about falling in love. I think about rising in it because it's an empowering place to be in. And that to me is to be empowered by love, not defeated, not minimized by it. That reframing allows you to show up different because you're already changing your position within love. Not the heartbreaks, not the disappointments, not the family dynamics, but what do you want love to be? Be that and encounter that because it's like to, to encounter love, you have to encounter another person. So be that loving encounter. And what do you feel like, because I mean, one of the things you talk about early in the book is kind of these limitations that people put on their love. And it's like, it's one of the things that hit me. I'm like, oh God, we do. We all have so many limitations, whatever it is, whether it's self-imposed, imposed by environment, imposed by, you know, uh, group thinking. I don't know, but it, it, it's so interesting. And this idea, you know, I love these stories that you told from, you know, being in skit, like you were like for two weeks, was it two weeks? You actually were like, I'm going to live as they do. No, 43 days. Forty-three um, days. Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. A lot longer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was six weeks and you were, and I love the story that you were there. Maybe you were only there for two weeks at this point and you thought about everything, but not about like the weather. And it was about to like start pouring. And I will say in LA, it never rains, but when it does, it's, it's big and no yeah. one's prepared for it. Like the streets aren't prepared for it. I mean, it's, so it always feels like everything's going to like, yes, it's crazy. It's like a deluge. And so, um, you were asking like your friends and I think you were next to Miss Brenda, who I know comes up a lot. And she was yeah. like, yeah, you got to get a tarp. Like, cause you can't get into a shelter, like get a tarp. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I'm going to like pedal money and like, you know, panhandle and get some money. so I can buy a tarp. They're not crazy expensive. And so you had that experience of sitting there and asking for money. And what was so fascinating about it is you thought it was going to be a lot easier than it was. A, yeah. you thought you were going to make that money. Yeah. And then B, you said and it was so interesting the way it happened is like you were already so dejected by the time any coins like hit your cup. It wasn't even like early in the day, but the time it happened, you'd already started to kind of, I guess, transform emotionally more into your neighbors now that were on the street because you mm -hmm. actually were feeling what it meant to be ignored or to be, which is a huge thing you and I have talked about. And again, I, I really beg people to go back to that first episode because we talk a lot about for the homeless, how the biggest thing is feeling ignored and not human yes. and not actually being present that to them is 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 way more prevalent than not having a roof over their head like that's not the issue for them the issue is disappearing as like a human being and yeah. so it seems like in this instance that you're sitting there all day getting ignored like you started to actually kind of embody it and they could see it and so then the by the end of the day only two people had put money in your cup and both had been homeless are homeless mm -hmm. themselves yeah I was, I was, that experience, I was so rattled. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason why is I gave humanity a, a, a softer past. I thought we were further than we were. Oh, that's um, interesting. And I thought that my first mindset was, and it was coming also from my space, if if a person is humble enough 
to bear their vulnerability of not having. Like to me, it's like, you know, humility is a problem within a lot of people. And you would just naturally think from human to human. If someone was able to come to you um, with humility and, and, and vulnerability to bear what they need and, and that if we could meet their need, we would just off of that, just off of that reason. And to see people were so far removed from humanity, humility, vulnerability, because it doesn't get more vulnerable than being homeless on so many different levels. And for someone to be kind enough, not stealing from you, deceiving you, but just literally asking for help and you can help and you decide to put your hand in your pocket and not reach out, we have a bigger issue. And that's what I realized from a collective dealing with about 600 people that day, we have a bigger issue and a giving an F problem. It was never so stark than that moment because I'm not in that space, but I don't represent the majority either. And it doesn't matter if a few of us get it, we all have to get it. And to see how far we were, that's when I realized how much work needed to truly be done because I bared my soul. I was, you know, and I, you know, there's all the thing, all the boxes I crossed off. Humility. I'm not suffering from mental illness. You know, I am considered normalized by, you know, society standard. You know, there, there was no reason for us to reject each other in that way. And for us to get to that space, it's devastating spiritually. That's a devastating space for us to be in as a collective. And I mean, that to me is why this book is so important because it's a good reminder. I mean, look, I, I it's it's funny. You just, that, that first episode we ever did together, and I've said this to you so many times, I text it to you all the time, like really opened my eyes in a different way because you, to me it was that, the ignoring that people do um, and the stories that whether they've been told and like that, you know, why you don't give money to the homeless, blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's funny when you say it this way, I would think for people to hear, I mean, I've talked to you about this before, so I've had this mental shift, but when you talk about like, I don't get it being homeless, it, there's no more humility than that and asking for help. I don't think most people see it that way. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the problem, right? That's yeah. the problem because we are not identifying people's vulnerability, their humility. and that should automatically change us. And I think the reason that's important is most people deem themselves as good people. But is that idealistic? Is that just an idea? Where is the good coming from? Yeah. Where's the good going? What's the perception? What's the action? Like, so it's like, you can't just say you're good. You can't speak in a kind tone. And I, I believe you. It's not what you say is what you do. And I saw a lot of people not cross the box of, what goodness and humanity should look like. And I was devastated. And I was devastated. I was devastated because to speak to 600 people that day, I had to at least five, 600 people. I'm in the financial district. Like there's no, you know, in my mind, it's like, this is a good area, middle to upper class, downtown Los Angeles, working class. I'm in, you know, a tourist area. Like, I'm like, someone's going to help me. Someone's going to be kind. There's no it. And in my mind, I had that much faith and that much optimism. And the people, I'm glad. Sorry. No, I was going to say, did anyone even offer you anything else? Like, 
No one. Everyone had an excuse. Everyone said the exact same thing. How do you have 600 people say, I don't have cash. I can't help right now. I gotta go. Like, no, I mean, ignored me, ignored me, moved out the way just because I was asking. Like, you felt so, the, the, and I've, and I've bared rejection in life. It's not like I've been rejected in so many ways. That level of rejection was so painful because it's a cry out for help that no one even, it's like no one cared. Like, how can we be good and not have empathy towards each other? And, you know, after that, I mean, I've done studies on empathy and I talk about these things in the book and it's on such a decline. We have to look at how is that taxing our soul? Like, how you know, there has to be a de- direct correlation to the amount of anxiety people feel and empathy being on a decline and the idea of anxiety be maybe being connected to not feeling loved and cared for collectively. Yeah. Like you, there has to be a spiritual correlation to that. And I, and I, I felt it and I experienced it in that moment, how far we got to the point where we no longer, like we're so desensitized to someone and it wasn't, it was an easy solvable thing. I wasn't asking for, I was asking for $24 within the eight hour day of begging people for help. A dollar, you know what I mean? Like I was asking for that. Everyone said, I've never seen that. Like everyone had said no. And the people gave to me because they knew that rejection. They gave me what was in their, their little wallets and pockets. Like they gave me everything they had. And that's Someone so wouldn't crazy. Get, that was so painful to see people, the people who have the most give the least. But, they, but, you, but then you, you sit in a space that you, with pride, say you're a good person. All these people, I'm sure, had these ideas that they were great humans. But the moments where they could be great, they were overlooking or they were too busy to be great. It's it's so interesting, too. I always say the people with the most money get the most free stuff. <laughs> At least oh my it used God. to work that way. I know now there's like yeah. influencer stuff. But in the past, it used to be like the higher up you are in the corporation, the more free shit just came your way. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, but they can afford it. Um, yeah. I was like, send it to me. The assistant was no money. I was, I was like, I was the one who needs the free stuff. But it, it's so true. You know, you talk about in the book also, which I, you know, the idea of there's more separateness happening in the world. And I mean, do you feel like that's part of this problem? Oh, a hundred percent. It's not in our nature. And I mean, especially there was already separation that was happening through online. Right. And there, and there's beauty that comes from online and social media and connectedness, but I think it's creating bubbles. I agree. I don't think it's, I think that there are bubbles that are happening and we're being fed the same. And Agreed. that's also, you know, and we're only interested in seeing the same, Like, so I think that we're just being fed kind of the same thing and it's not allowing us to expand. I couldn't agree more. I say it all the time on here, like politically, it's like, Every time I have to go on Facebook and people are like, I just did a clean sweep of everyone who basically, whatever your opinion is, has the opposite opinion. You know, it's like, I did a clean sweep of everyone who is a Trump supporter. I did a clean sweep of everyone who is a Biden supporter, whatever, because I can't handle like, and, and so then anytime I got into discussions with people, politically, people's response would be like, oh my God, just block them. And I'm like, no, 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 I refuse. I was like, I refuse because exactly what you said, I'm like, I don't get it. I, I, I'm i okay hearing other people have a different point of view as me. I learn from them. Hopefully they learn from me. Like, I also, I want to know what's out there. Like, it doesn't help me at all to get into a little bubble of my same thought because my thought should hopefully yeah. be evolving and changing all the time anyway. And I don't know what direction that's going to go in or why. 
And so I was like, I'd rather have discussions with people or what are perceived arguments and not eliminate them. I've never taken anyone off of my social media. It's more Facebook. I, th- I find Instagram to be so insular. Like it, the bubbles absolutely strong, like really strong yeah. on Instagram. It's yeah. like mm-hmm. everyone thinks looks exactly like in their little bubbles. Facebook, I feel like because it started longer ago, you still have remnants of people who might have had yeah. different thought process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. generationally, generationally, yes. everyone's on there. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like on Facebook, I feel it more and I've never once blocked someone, gotten rid of someone. I mean, I'm sure maybe someone did it to me, who knows, but I refuse because I'm like, that's not the world. And I'm with you. I think it's so scary when this world becomes these ideas of it can only be your thought around you. Absolutely. It does. It's a dangerous place to be. And I think that um, we have to seek common ground and find ways to connect and not focus on our separateness. I think that we can get to places where we seek common ground. I think certain things are non-negotiable, like uh, oppressing others and things like that that are hurtful. I have non-negotiables for. Um, I don't think that there's common ground in oppression, Um, but in other opinions and things that don't affect people outside of you, then yes, common ground all day long. But that's important for us to see that that's what we need to work on because a lot of times, even with social media, what you see is people using it to vent their disdain, but not to find ways to connect or healthy debates, healthy conversations. Right. It's it's. I think that that's great. Like I love challenging, debating conversations. Those are my favorite because I do think that we will find common grounds every time if we allow that and to be open to it. And it's a gift, you know. I mean. I work with our street fam, which, you know, is our people experiencing homelessness and foster youth. And we're, you know, I live separate lives, but the expansion I've had from being so exposed to things outside of my experience and bubble, those gifts, they have bettered me as a human being, have made me way more well-rounded and accepting um, because I'm allowing deep understanding to happen. And also allowing ourselves to be educated on things we don't know. Like you can find excitement in that space. You know, you want to steepen, you want to grow. And I think that we have to realize expansion comes from expanding our areas, our environments. You know, we stick with people, whether it's cultural, race, economical, that's not like, I just, I feel like that can't be what ties us together. Yeah. That's actually, it's heavy if you think about it. I'm like, it's a lot to dismantle um, because I do feel like the world's getting more siphoned that way. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's scary. It's really scary. You know, you talk a lot about kind of using your privilege. I, it was interesting. You didn't say white privilege. You just said privilege, you know, knowing the top and you were talking about how, you know, people don't use their privilege. It's like, use it if you have it use it. And it's, do you feel like there's something getting tied up now in the idea of people being ashamed of privilege and so therefore aren't even taking advantage of what they could be doing with it? I think that we have to know the position we have in life. Like I might not have white privilege, but I have the privilege of being maintained in life that someone experiencing homelessness might not have, right? Where I can go into a place and not be othered the same way, just Mm -hmm. off of the means of a shower. I think that we do have to look at levels of it, you know, not everyone's a trust fund kid, not everyone's an heiress, like 
there's levels of it. I think that, of course, there's things that are toxic and dangerous within those spaces, but there's also a place where our voice can empower others. And I think that what's important is when you're in a position of privilege, whatever that is, wherever your level is, I'm working with my level. It's not that high, but I'm just working in that space, you know, but being in that space, having the story, when I talk about the kids at the coffee shop, the privilege that I was accepted into order because I had the money to do so. It's something as small as a coffee shop and someone unempowered to me, the privilege that I had the right and authority in that space to speak up for them and change what was happening in the experience. That's how you use your privilege for good. Now talk to me now. I'll tell people what it's about because I wrote that quote down because I loved it so much. Um, but basically two home, homeless boys, I'm guessing, went into- Yeah, I think they were class. foster. Yeah, I think they were like foster kids, like untake, un, they weren't taken care of at all. And they were just going to Starbucks asking for a glass of water. And the guy just- It wasn't Starbucks though. It was a small like shop downtown. I just want to make sure because I'm like, Sorry. Starbucks, you guys, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> no, no. I just want to make sure it was a coffee shop. Just it was a coffee Starbucks, shop. But it was a coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. Just a coffee shop. And the guy totally dismissed them. Um, and basically was like, yeah, you have to be a customer. You have to be a paying customer basically to have water. Correct. And like, yeah, get out. And it was so awful because it's a small shop. Everyone could hear. And when someone's doing, again, it was back to that humility. Someone's burying themselves. The need can be met. And it's obvious that the person is in need. And if someone can be that kind to say, please, may I have like, again, I experienced that on a, a macro level and that was micro. That was one small moment. But that was exactly what I experienced. And I had that experience before I had went out. And that that experience was hard because I'm sure the barista wasn't a bad person. But I felt that 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 can be connected to so many things. Being unempowered, maybe mistreated that day. But what has to be recognized, it's like I understand it, but I don't accept it. I understand you might have had a bad day. I but I can't accept behavior our responsibility because it's our responsibility to look at what's in front of us to be mindful and intentional and to recognize that that's what we have to train that was the whole idea of of becoming better and actually stepping into being good people it has to do with those moments where you can help someone you can choose and, love in that moment yeah and and it's something so small i think that's the hardest part is what you realize is there's so many small things we could be doing for each other that we're not doing and we're suffering from it. Well, that's the micro gestures, which you know is always my favorite conversation. Yeah. Let me read this quote first before we move to that because it's so good. Um, so basically she kind of railed into the barista, deservedly so, um, putting him in his place, which was amazing, um, and got them their water and then said to the boys, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. You may not always get it, but closed mouths never get fed. I just thought that was brilliant. And it's, I mean, it's so true. It's like, you you may not always get the food or the drink of water when you ask for it, but you're certainly not going to get it if you don't. And like, I yeah. loved it because you were also giving them that support of like, you did the right thing. Like asking was not the problem. Yeah. And I think that that was the most important part was it. I thought of things. I needed him to understand perspective, which I know he'll never do that again. And then I know that <laughs> <laughs> I know he won't. And then I, I wanted those boys to recognize, to walk with your head up. And yeah. I, and you have, and, and I think all of us, 
validation is important for all of us. I understand that we we can become superhuman and we don't need it and and we find ways to find it within ourselves, but it is nice to feel loved, seen, understood and celebrated. And in that moment I wanted those boys to know, no, you have to continue to do this. Don't. This is, you know, and and thank God I, I felt blessed to be there to intervene. Like I felt so blessed to be there because I changed that entire dynamic and that needed to happen. And I know that that was a teachable moment. I know it was monumental for both of them. And so I felt thankful that I was even aware enough to not just be in my bubble, but be aware of the people around me that I could show up for someone else. Never see that those boys again in my life. But knowing in that moment was the only important thing. And that was a moment where I got to be loving and I got to use my privilege and my voice and the privilege of just something as simple as being able to buy coffee and offering them. I asked them, and the, the sweetest part was I asked the boys, are you guys hungry? Do you want anything? And they were like, we just needed water. It wasn't even asking for anything else. And, yeah, and water was free. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it is, but I think going back to the privilege conversation, it is so important to realize we all have some sort of privilege somewhere. Absolutely. And so I love your point of be aware what it is. And it is, look, I, I feel like what's going on in society right now, it's tough. It's like everyone against everyone at all times. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. think it puts people into a big defensive stance, which therefore works against this idea of getting into the proactive love stance. Because I feel like people are yeah. so, no matter who or what you are, I feel like everyone's kind of ready to be attacked. And so- Absolutely. They're curling up more than kind of being there to be present. I do think this is such a beautiful reminder for all of us who are defensive at different moments for different reasons, whatever the conversations are. If you can just remember, you do hold privilege, all of us Mm -hmm. at some point and be mindful of where your privilege sits and what situation you're in, because you can use it to help. And I think that's a beautiful statement. Yeah. Just speaking up for people advocating for someone, you know, it's just like, again, it's not turning a blind eye saying that like, I'm going to look and certain things hurt. They're very hurtful, but being hurt, you can't, you can't be empowered. If you're just sitting in pain, you have to say, no, I can do something about this. I can turn this around. I can advocate for people. And it's not big. doesn't need to be something big. It can be daily. But that's like, for me, it's funny. And I love it. I love that I made the book with the micro gestures because I do talk about them all the time and I'm obsessed and and I'm obsessed and it's, and thank you. It was like such an honor when I was reading, I was like, ah, Um, but in the quote that you use in the micro gestures part of mine, I, I think is right, which is you talk about them as micro gestures. And then the minute you start doing them and they become part of your life, you realize that it's not micro at all. It's completely macro and it's exactly. everything. And I feel like that's what's so interesting. And, you know, like Larasia really got to me in that first thing. And it changed how I interacted, especially with anyone who was homeless and looking at them as a human being and seeing their humility and knowing that they all just need something that I can give. And, um, you know, interestingly, and later in the book, it talks a lot about how my daughter and I, especially in LA would always, you know, whenever we would see anyone, it just got to the point, I would always stop and ask. And so for instance, what I learned from you, if I had seen you on that street, if I didn't have cash, which chances are I wouldn't, cause I never do, I'm horrible with cash. I probably would have been like, what else can I get you? Like, is there a store? Can we go walk to a store? Can, or I would have had something on me because I learned that from you. This yeah. idea of um, talk and ask and ask the questions. And that for me was so huge, this micro gesture mm-hmm. of just 
not even take kind of what you did with your grandfather. It's like not even taking the no, knowing there's a need and just like wiping the table clean enough where they know it's okay to have a need. And if I can provide this, I'm going to help you. And I have fed the amount of people since I spoke to you that got fed is all because of you, because I never walked by anybody without insisting of some sort, even if it took time out of my day to go. I mean, the amount of restaurants I had to sit and wait for food to get ready because someone had some crazy order and I would just be like, well, I'm getting this person lunch. And I would sit there for 25 minutes waiting for the tacos to get ready or whatever it was. Yeah. But it, it changed everything because of you. And it was so true. And yes, in a moment, that was my privilege. I had the privilege of being able to walk into any store. I had the ability with a credit card because chances are I did not have cash to purchase a lunch and a drink and a napkin um, and coffee or whatever it was for somebody whenever they needed it. And I think, I hope people hear this and hope and realize that we do all have privilege that can be used. And your, your, your comment about love is a choice in every moment I think is huge. And I think if people realize it's not just one thing or another. So if someone's out there asking for a tarp and if you don't have a tarp on you, it doesn't mean you can't stop. If you know that person probably needs more than a tarp to stop and ask, well, what else can I do for you? This is what I can do. Does any of this resonate? You know, I feel like one thing you taught me and you talk about in this book is um, mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. And I think, again, going back to society and a culture we're not very forgiving of people right now in a very, very vocal way. And so I think people are terrified. People are terrified to say the wrong thing. They're terrified to insult someone the wrong way. They're terrified. And I get that. I'm like that sometimes too. I totally understand it. You're so nervous that you're just by sometimes not knowing something, you're going to say something so offensive and then everything's going to, but you taught me this and it, it changed my relationship. Like I said, especially with anyone who was homeless, this idea of there's no mistakes. Like it's just a conversation. Yeah. And I mean, look, I've been told no before I got out of my car once, you know how they are like a lot of times people are waiting at the intersections. Yeah. So you've got like a small amount of window of time because the light's (laughs) going to change and there's a line of people getting off the freeway behind you. Yeah. And because of you, I always had water in the back of my trunk and I always had granola bars or something they could eat. And there was a a new guy, actually, it was always the same person, but that person wasn't there. There was a new guy sitting in the corner. So I immediately, because it's quick, I immediately got out. And I remember it was during COVID times too. And I didn't give a shit. Like I got out, I'm like, hi, I have water. I have a bar. I have this, have as many. And he was just like, not having it. He didn't want anything but money. And I was like, are you sure? He was like, nope. And like, kind of pissed at me. But because of you, there was no reaction on my part. I was just like, Ooh. okay, well, I'm so sorry. I actually don't have that right now, but I, are you sure? Like, are you sure you just don't want a water? Are you sure you don't want this? No, I'm like, okay, have a beautiful day. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was big for me. I remember that moment because I would think if that happened two years prior, I'd probably be like, are you fucking kidding? Like I would have been yeah, like yeah, almost yeah. annoyed. I mean, that's the honest mm-hmm. reaction for me. Yeah. I, I might've been more like, wait, here I am trying to help and you don't want my help. This was such a different, perspective and different energetic exchange where it was like, that's not what he mm-hmm. wants. And like, I'm doing my best. I'm doing what I can do. I can't unfortunately give him what he wants. And you know what? I still ended being like, have a beautiful day. He, he was annoyed at me, but I just kept, I kept it. Like, I was like, well, at least let me give him the emotion. I kept looking in his eyes. Like I'm hearing you like in my head, like they're human, like make them feel seen. I was like looking right at him. I'm like, are you sure? Okay. I'm so sorry. Have a beautiful yeah. day. Um, no, but that that happened because your good experiences outweighed the bad. Yes. And that's because you had a Rolodex 
of examples mm. of all the times. So that one, that one moment wasn't defining it because you didn't try once. That's true. And that's, that's the big difference is when you have those moments, they're so far in between, which I'm yep. pretty sure you've seen that yep. you're like so many people are ready for this kind of love that if someone isn't, we caught them on the wrong day. That's okay. Right. And that's the acceptance because again, if, if you weren't doing this constantly and your example was only once, then that, I mean, that, that, that's a tough space to be in if you've only tried once and that's the reaction you get opposed to all the, the wonderful moments that you had that you brought into your life. Like you curated moments of love and beautiful exchanges. You know, it, it's, uh, the reason I brought that story up is because I think, and you're saying it so perfectly, it's just so important for people to know that that is not the norm. Does it happen? Of course it happens, mm-hmm. but it's not the norm and don't let it like, to me, that goes also along with the mistakes. Like it's okay. If you've like in that moment, I'm sure he was offended or pissed at me for whatever his reasoning was. And I didn't let it stop me from continuing to offer whatever I could. And I didn't let it stop me from the next time I saw anyone him. By the way, I think he, he, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was actually a nice addendum to it or ending. I remember same intersection because I was always going there to see friends. It was the same intersection and he was there again. And I was like doing, I think this time I rolled down my window to be like, Hey, I've got food and water. Would you like anything? And he was like, I could see it. You could tell like there was a hardening. And then he went, Sure. I'll take a water. I'm like, great. And like, I get up and I go to get the water and I'm like, are you sure you don't want it? And once again, I showed him, I have this, I have this. He was like, okay. Like he totally softened and then took everything. And then the light changed. I'm like, have a beautiful day. I'll see you. And it was the same person. And I could see the reluctance in the beginning. And he recognized you. I'm telling you, they always know. Oh, really? Like they all, oh my God. I, they always do because it's so rare to even have those encounters. He knew. And that's the thing too, is I think that people don't realize because that happens a lot. When I go to Skid Row, if I'm rejected, I still work on the same people. I get through it to every single one of them. But it's also, that was a consistent moment. You showed up trying to help him one other time. And, and, you know, he had hardened himself maybe because no one had done that and it was foreign and he didn't want to feel, sometimes you don't want to feel dependent, vulnerable. Think about it. People in our regular lives that aren't even having these day-to-day struggles get to this mental reframing of, I don't want to get used to something too much like love and other things because I don't want to be dependent on it. So, you know, we use this like weird way to like guard ourselves as a form of empowerment. And we're just like, you know, like I can do this myself. And then, so in that moment, what broke through was, oh my God, like she cares. She's consistent. Like you showed him love in both interactions. You didn't meet him where he was at. So you made him rise. Like that was the energy. Like you took him to that place where he felt safe, you know, where he was like, okay, maybe I can have something nice today. And it was funny. I felt very lucky because he had changed the person who was there the weeks prior always was always like took. So when he came in, I was like, oh, and I remember being like, like I said, open, but being like, oh God, I hope, like, I hope that other person went somewhere where he's still getting stuff. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. clearly like somehow the shift changed. I don't know how that works. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's like a philosophy behind it or, um, but so when he came, when this new guy came on, I was so happy when he accepted it because yeah. everyone can use water. I mean, we all know that. So yeah. like the complete rejection of water, I was like, you're the one who taught me that you're like water. Yeah. They, they need water more than anything. Water, 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 yeah. water. Yeah. And it's simple and tangible and anyone can do it. And I think the most important part was like, even you energetically, when you talk about it right now, 
the empowerment that came from you having a human moment with someone breaking yeah. through like that was the act of vulnerability that's the energy that was broken through yeah was someone seeing each other and accepting and and being comfortable in that space like that's healing you are unbelievably healing and i i really hope people uh, I always hope there's at least one person when we speak gets shifted because I feel like I know yeah. I, at least from our first conversation, it was me. I, yeah. I hope there were other people too, but I know it was me. And I hope that every conversation we have afterwards, it's at least one other, if not more, because yeah. it's, you're right. It's so simple. I mean, that's what kills me. It's like such a simple <laughs> shift of perception, simple shift of, of choice, simple mm-hmm. shift of action um, that the ripple effect is huge. It's realistic. It's tangible. You know, it's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking from fluff. I think it's very adaptable. I think the most important part about our changes is we don't have to change our life in days. You know, you just, you're incorporating new ways to experience your moments. And I, and I had said that to someone because they'd asked me, well, how do you view your day? And I said, I don't view my day. Most people view their day in days. I view my day in hour and minutes. Mm. that's how I view my day that's how I schedule my day I really view I mean down to like okay I have 45 minutes to pour into this relationship in my life 45 minutes to check in with my siblings like I view my life from a moment minutes standpoint so even when I'm being present with someone how you said all the encounters you had just think about that one shift how many encounters that you've had that have been wonderful that you've added to your experience in life yeah so many rich wealth like to me that is the wealth because you're you're experiencing beings all walks of life people that you may you would have never encountered had you not been open it showed up oh my god so many so many really lovely stories and i think i told you because of you my daughter and i over it was a it was christmas last year we were here this year but um, we were like, cause we don't celebrate Christmas anyway. So I'm like, Levy, mm-hmm. we made a bunch of cookies. Like we made so many cookies, bought a lot of water and went and got a bunch of like $5, $10 Starbucks cards. Um, yeah. and we made little packages. I think we're like Aww. 80, probably 80 packages. And anyone in Los Angeles, or if you don't know, like the community, the homeless community in Los Angeles, just exponentially getting larger and larger and larger. And there's, it's, you can't pretend to avoid it. Like, so my point being, it's not hard to do a micro gesture every day to someone who may need it because it really is everywhere. If if you're pretending it's not there, then you're just literally turning a blind eye. It's everywhere. Like no matter where you live in Los Angeles. So um, we, I said like, and I told her and she at that point been feeding uh, people with me on a regular basis, but I'm like, we're going to go to the tents and we're just going to go give people these Christmas gifts for the holidays. And we did, and I remember I was like, we got to go kind of early because I didn't want to be doing it at the, in the dark. I mean, I've, yeah, like, of I had a four-year-old at that time yeah, and, um, and it was rainy and cold and we and I told her ahead of time, I warned her, I'm like, I know you're going to be tired, but we're going to do this because this is a little girl. And we drove to different areas and we would like walk around the blocks. Like first we started right by our house because there was plenty, a couple, few blocks that I knew there were tents yeah. and we went from tent to tent. And I watched her energy change throughout the day. And that's what was amazing. Like to the point actually to be like, okay, Levy, like b- b- cork it a little bit because she'd be like, <laughs> woo! 
Like she was like so <laughs> excited. It was like giving yeah. her, and she didn't even quite understand what was happening, but it was just the, she could feel the energy. And she the knew energy, the energy. Yeah. And the energy was getting her like Superman. She was like, let's go get more. I want to run there. And, and I mean, and she was so excited about it. And, um, and it was lovely. And look, I do think there's something, and you, you talk about this in the book, but I do think there's something about my daughter or someone young being there because it takes a level of defense from people. And I think they're so happy to have just a conversation that feels, mm-hmm. because I think even with me, no matter how lovely or nice I can be, I'm sure in the back of their head, it's like, okay, she's from here, blah, blah, blah. There's like layers of like judgment filtering through their head. With mm-hmm. a child, they know the child has no fucking clue about anything. So there's <laughs> uh-huh. such a instant comfort, I feel like, yeah. relaxation. So I always love it. And I'll never forget the last one we had. It was the last mm-hmm. tent, the last thing we had. We did all 80 of them. And it was a woman and a man and they were in there and she just was really sweet. At first she was talking to us and then halfway through the conversation, she just broke down in tears mm-hmm. and was just looking at my daughter and just being like, oh my God, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And I pulled Levy aside when we left there and I go, Levy, like, do you know why she's crying? And, and I don't remember. She goes, why? Cause she lives in a tent. I go, no, she's not crying because she lives in a tent. She's not crying because she doesn't have food. She's crying because you went out of your way today to do something for her. I was like, that's why she was crying. Like you could, and I could see it. I'm like, the tears came from feeling touched from feeling mm-hmm. seen. It wasn't about circumstance. It was about the human connection. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge and, le- lesson. Yeah. I mean, and just, and even that, like just teaching Levy's so young. I mean, I think about her when she was, um, when we were doing uh, a party on Skid Row and Pepper, you know, (laughs) just her connection. It's just it, her having that, those experiences so young, she's going to energetically look at people from energy. How is he? Pepper is crazy as always. He's, He's great just being Pepper, always, always acting up. Levy and and this guy Pepper who um, lives on Skid Row who was at yes. this event were like best friends. It was hilarious. They were off playing. Yeah. I think he had her on his shoulders at one point. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he, he, gave- lo- he loves her. And you know, and that doesn't happen often. It's so rare that even parents allow that. You know, they treat, they really do treat people experiencing homelessness as though they're like not allowed to talk to their kids or like have those connections and so many of them. So that's big too, because it it also validates just the normalization right. of them as humans to be able to, so you, you have to think about that. Like so many people are like, no, my kids can't go, you know, there's this, there's this idea already who these people are that their, their monsters are villainized all the time. So when a child can connect with them, there, there's so many soft beings. Mm. And that's why like he felt that connection too, because it was, there was no guard there. We weren't treating anyone as though they were distant. Everyone was welcome. And I mean, she felt it, you know, she was doing the the time of her life. (laughs) Energy. Yeah. And because it's all energy. It's like children, again, she's more spirit than she is human. So I think at one point I was like, where is she? You're like, she's up there. I'm like, with who? Pepper. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I was like, as (laughs) long as it's with Pepper. (laughs) Yeah. And he gave her, it was so sweet. He had like a plastic digital watch or something. And he <laughs> gave it to her, which of course was gigantic on her little <laughs> hand, but she was so happy to have been given this gift. It was so sweet. Yeah. And that's just like, that's just powerful because again, where you are implementing the ideas of showing up and curating love, 
and you're you're showing her how to curate love, how to be intentional, how to show up for life in her full energy and, and empowered. Like you said, she felt that energy. That was empowerment. You know, yeah, she right. she was, you know, it's like and there's a high that comes from that. There really is where you just you feel so good because I feel like that's the missing link. We want to connect. That is in our nature, you know. And so when we're giving our souls more of what it wants, I think that that energy it, it rises, it surfaces. And I think that we feel that. And I feel like a lot of times always in service, every time I'm serving, it's hard work. It's showing up. I feel so good afterwards. I always say something like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to, afterwards, I have so much energy from it because I feel like, it's just like, oh my God, I'm having, like, these are the experiences. That's why we even came here. Like, that's how mm-hmm. I see it. It's like, when I'm in the moments, I'm like, this is what I came here for. Not to be too busy in life, not to, to connect with humans, to share moments with them. Like that is so, it's, it's so needed. And now more than ever, more look than at ever. the state of the world. Look at where we are. Think I about mean, the unlearning that has to come from the pain, from the separation. Yeah. And look, I think if there's, what I love about your teachings so much is like, yes, we always bring it back to Skid Row and the homeless community because you've made so many huge shifts and changes, not only in the community, but how people perceive and interact, which I think is huge. But those teachings, those same core principles and teachings go to every single everyday moment with every single person, no matter who you are, where you're from, these teachings apply everywhere. And Mm -hmm. they're so important to remember. It's these little micro gestures, a smile you can give anybody, recognizing what you can do in any situation for somebody else and not in like a martyr way in just the way of being love for other people. It's so huge. And I think it will shift the world if people will start acting that way. And that's, what's so incredible about your book is this like, it's like, again, you're still talking about what you do every day for a living, but it's with this direct teaching of elevating it to be used in everyday life and all the time. Yeah. So huge. I'm excited about those moments because what I've learned is just those shifts I've made. It's, it, it doesn't just affect one area of your life, even showing up, you know, for strangers, for people experiencing homelessness that have needs that we can easily meet. But when you change, every person around you benefits from that change, from that openness, from that growth. Like, I think that that's what we don't sometimes often realize is as we're changing, everyone benefits from it. The more we become kind, the more we become patient, the more we start to show up. It's also giving people an invitation, a rallying call to be different themselves. That's so beautiful. (laughs) It's true, which I think is the most wonderful part is like, I always strive to be better at something, to grow, not for me, but just the benefit of every, everything I touch and the people around me and the people I love. I want my love to grow so that they can feel an extension of that, a deeper place with that. Yeah. And you you do, you do that every day. I mean, I hope I say this all the time, but I hope you realize what a (laughs) gift you are to everybody. Thank you. I mean, I consider you such a huge gift to me because you've given me one of the best gifts and which, which keeps on giving. And it's, I don't know. That's why I always like having you on because I just feel like there's (laughs) so much you can spread and teach and you're such an amazing human and this book, I'm everybody get this book. I'm so proud of you. What can Thank we do? You. What do you guys need? What does Lunch on Me need right now? What are things people in the community can do for you guys? Of course. How can they like, do it? 
of course, granola bars, water. I'll tell everyone that first. Um, if they want to pledge monthly, our pledges start at $10. If you want to order the book, read it and, you know, apply it, share micro gestures, share, you know, I think the most important thing is like, I really want people to share how they're approaching the work mm. with each other, because I think there's ways that I have not written that we can show up, that we could expand on. I think that we need to have that community of sharing that embetterment and that, that space. And I think that it really does start with micro gestures as a collective and being creative of how we approach and show up, you know, learning, growing, healing. It, it can be something that's, that's fun and empowering. I'm telling you, it, it changes you. It shifts you and everything around. So I would love to see the community be vocal about that. I think that as we change, the most wonderful thing we can do is share that change and share those experiences because that really does shift things for people. I think that we don't give sharing enough credit sometimes, which yeah. like even what you said, I never considered myself a teacher. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm sharing because that requires vulnerability, but that really does create shifts and aha moments for each other. I think that we are collectively equally in that space. So I would love to see that. I would love to see, you know, how people um, start to show up in love without reason um, within their communities, their friends, family, strangers. You know, I think the easiest place to start is strangers because there isn't that same like connection and dynamic that happens in family and friendship. Sometimes it's easier to start there. You know, you can iron out a lot of kinks <laughs> and then you take it everywhere. It's so true. And we all have work to do. There's not one of us yes. who does not have work to do. I Absolutely think not. The, I think that's the key is no one's exempt here. Not one person listening to this. I was doing work till three o'clock this morning. Emotionally, like you, when I say you're not lying, I was doing it this morning. I was like, oh my God, I have to be better at this. This is an area I realized I'm falling really, really short. And I was crying. I was crying because I was like, I, I want to be better. I, it's like, there's moments where I have, where I'm like, I can already see the other side. So I'm like crying to get there, but I'm like, I want to grow and be better and dismantle this thing. Yeah. Well, the fact that you're aware, you're already halfway there. Oh my God. That's a long Beginning. journey. What, what, what a journey, right? What a life. <laughs> Always a journey until the last breath. Oh my God. Yes. Until we you. start again. I until love you. Until we start too, again. I, I always adore <laughs> you. I always adore you these too. conversations and you I'm too. so thankful you walked into my life and thankful that you get to walk into all these other people's lives too. And I'm, I'm thankful that you just, you just, you have been so wonderful and just to see you, just you. And always when I see you with your daughter, like it's, it, oh my God, it's so powerful. Tal. Like it's so powerful. You show up and you're so intentional because what you're teaching her, she's going to reach so many. And it's through your example. Trust me, when I see that, I can't help but see me as a child and finding that same love. Like with my grandmother, I see that with you as a mother. It's so powerful. Oh my God. I, that I, thank you. I'm actually speechless. That's unbelievably nice to hear. It's, thank you. It's true. You're, 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 you're superhuman, just so you know, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh you God. know, remind me you of that are. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. 
Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.